this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. For those who are going to vote, so we're praying for wisdom for our politicians, regardless which way it goes. There are some complicated issues to face moving forward. So let's pray for wisdom for them as they seek to, to lead us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we live in a nation where there is democracy. Lord, we thank you that we live in a nation where we are free to gather, where we are free to worship you. And where we have the opportunity to, on different occasions, to cast a vote to elect our leaders or to vote on issues such as this European Union referendum. And so, Father, we ask you today for wisdom uh, as we cast our votes. And we pray, Lord, also for wisdom for our politicians as they lead us and lead this nation forward. God, whichever way it goes, there'll be complicated conversations and discussions to move things forward. And so we pray, God, for real wisdom and godly attitude for those who lead us. Father, I pray you'd remind us to keep praying for for those that lead us. Thank you for them. We do uh, thank you also, Lord, just as we celebrated our Queen's birthday just in the last few days. Thank you, Lord, that there's somebody in that position who loves you and honours you. And we pray, Lord, that would continue to be the case in our nation, that, God, this would be a nation that please honours you. Father, we pray that this will be a nation where the church rises up once again and is a strong, prophetic and godly voice leading people to you. We ask it in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's welcome Kevin as he comes. Good morning. Uh, well, as we've already referenced, today is Father's Day. And uh, I'm pretty confident that the reason I've been asked to speak is that I know all the best dad jokes. <laughs> Mainly because you keep sending them to me. Um, we're going to talk about, we're going to think about uh, the Father Heart of God this morning. And there's a couple of things that I want to say just before we dive into that. So we've been singing some songs, well done Adam, song choice uh, about the father. Obviously you heard about Father's Day there from the youngsters. I know that for some of you, just thinking about God as a father causes something to shrivel up a little bit inside because your experience of your own dad might not be great. And um, I want to say that I understand that, Uh, Mel and I spend quite a lot of our lives really working through with people the, the fallout from not being parented particularly well um, and a lot of times that is fathers. So, you know, we understand your experience may not be the best. We know that there are absent fathers. We know that there are abusive fathers. Understand something of how difficult that can make it to consider God as a father. I have sat with people in pubs and coffee shops around Derby City in tears Um, listening to their stories about their dads. However, the Bible very clearly says that God is our Father in heaven. 
And it might be a difficult subject, but we need to confront that and we need to think about it and talk about it. Uh, So that's the first thing. Just want you to know, okay? We we understand that. We're sympathetic to that. Okay. Oh. All right, we're going to look. We're going to look at. Um, we're going to look at one of the most well-known stories, probably, that Jesus tells. It's in Luke chapter fifteen. Uh, while you're turning to that, I need to ask you a question because this is going to shape what I say this morning and what we think about. And the question is this: If you think about yourself as a child of God, when you just have that mental image that He is your Father in heaven. If you picture yourself as being kind of 12 or under, can you just put your hand in the air and just let me, I just want to know if you picture yourself as a child when you think of yourself as child of God. Okay, not many. If you think of yourself clearly as an adult, can you just put your hand in the air? Okay. Not everyone's put their hand in the air for either, and I wouldn't either if I was, if I was sitting where you are and someone asked that question. So, okay, that's interesting. Um, We'll come on to that. So Luke 15, we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter simply because this uh, sets the context for the story that Jesus tells um, and we need to understand the context. We're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son as it's entitled in the ESV or the lost son it might be. Um, But Jesus tells this parable in the context of a situation that's arising around him which we find at the beginning of the chapter. So we'll just read the first couple of verses so that we can understand that. Okay, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So we have two groups of uh, people in the society. We've got the people who are very religious, who love God, who have given their lives to serving him as best as they know how, um, There are other stories where Pharisees, people like Nicodemus, will come and talk to Jesus because they want to understand what he's saying and what he's talking about and what's happening. And they don't really understand that Jesus also spends time with people who have not loved God, who have not walked his way, who have done things that they would say, well, that's sinful, that's wrong, and yet Jesus spends time with them. Why is that? Uh, and the background even to this bit, although this is context, is of course there's this huge revival going on in Israel at this time. There's been hundreds of years of no action and suddenly the Holy Spirit has been at work all over all kinds of people. Thousands have gone out to John the Baptist to be baptised at the Jordan. There's this huge turning to God. And so people who have not loved God, who've done their own thing and gone their own way, are suddenly being drawn to Jesus. Uh, and he just is comfortable with every kind of person in society. They all warm to him. He loves all of them. Uh, and the Pharisees are struggling with it. And Jesus wants to speak to that struggle. And he wants to talk to them about what is going on. So he tells three parables. Uh, the first is the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the lost coin. And then the third is the parable of the lost son. That's what we're going to read. So Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And he said to them, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, 
and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. amazing how that happens when you're nervous I am um, I've been reading this story through a different set of eyes recently slightly different perspective probably less the story of the prodigal son and more the story of the father father who receives his child back after they've been away for a long time squandering their inheritance in a foreign country America maybe Empathy, that's what I feel. <laughs> it's not been squandered, has it, please? No. Excellent. No prostitutes. No wild parties. Great. <laughs> Sorry. I'm stood on the platform now while my train of thought thunders along behind me. One of the first things that I realized in this story, kind of just, and this is life, okay, this is just where we are in life, is that the children are adults. I've got a couple of slides which might come up. Um, and it, I mean, I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, I've got to be honest. I'm not, you know, I'm never going to see profound things. But when I think about being a child of God, you see, I do this in my head 
So psychologically, this is really interesting. We were talking about this in Life Group this week. In my head, I think about being a child as being a young child. Now, I hold my mum responsible for that because she's never let me grow up. Uh, this, is, this has been the source of a great deal of humour in our family over the years, I have to say. Um, I, I remember walking out one night. I was leaving home. I was going to go out for the night, probably with Mel. So I'd have been, I don't know, 18, 19 years old. Walked out in my shirt sleeves. My mum said, do you not want a jumper on? And my dad just dissolved in fits of giggles that an 18-year-old boy should be told about appropriate clothing by his mother. And for the next 20 years, probably, whenever either of us went out the door in our shirt sleeves, the other would say, you sure you don't want a jumper on? And I, t- I told this story at work once, and a colleague of mine said, he said, that's, you think that's bad? He said, my wife and I go and visit my mother every Sunday afternoon. And without fail, she bakes me a cake because she doesn't think I'm well fed at home. And I'm 62. So I do this. But uh, I don't want to assume everyone does that, and you don't all do that. Some of you do this. Now, when I was Googling father and child, I just got pages and pages of father and young children. I had to Google father and adult child to get this picture. But... In the story, the children are adults. And actually, God has adult children. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. So you see, I've struggled to frame myself as an adult, but now our children are adults, and I'm having to rethink our relationship with them. Um, I mean, we've spent our whole life preparing them for this. If you, you might not know our children. Hope is 19. Peace is 18, mercy is 17. They're our children. So um, life has changed. Um, and it's been good. <laughs> and I'm a lot younger than I look. No. We, we went through a stage when they were like four, five, and six. People would look at me and say, oh, I wouldn't want to be in your house in 10 years' time. I hope you've got a decent shed. And I would say, we're not going to live with that. Actually, we reject that. We reject the idea that rebellion in the teenage years is inevitable. We don't accept that. We're going to parent positively, not out of fear, because we want our children to grow up to be wonderful, delightful people who know and love Jesus, and life will be great. And if it isn't, we'll deal with it. But we're not going to parent out of some kind of fear that they're going to rebel. Actually, this is the kind of father that God is. You see, our our lives as Christians... In the Bible, it is life. And it starts when you're born again, doesn't it? So Nicodemus, this Pharisee who's trying to understand what Jesus is talking about, comes and has a conversation with him. And Jesus says, you have to be born again. You have to be born of flesh and blood. And then you have to be born of the spirit. And I've been around Christians for far too long. So I don't know what kind of impact that phrase has among you. If you are kind of quite new to church, the phrase born again might, you know, you might be a little bit nervous about that, but it comes from a conversation Jesus has. I was, I, when I worked for the city council in Derby, I was in an office once, not my office. Uh, I was just there doing some uh, paperwork. I would say pretending to be busy, but I was actually busy. And uh, it was an office where there were about four people who worked in there who didn't really know me, and they were having a conversation about a newspaper article they were reading where some heinous crime had been committed. Uh, And then the person reading the article said, oh, and they're a born-again Christian. And someone else in the room said, well, they're the worst kind, aren't they? And But some people knew I was. And you get that really awkward silence 
that caused her to look up and go, is someone in the room a born-again Christian? And I'm like, well, that'd be me then. You're born again. So we, we come into the kingdom born again, babies. And actually, for a little period of time, we have to be fed milk. We have to have simple truths explained to us. Now, look, if you're a new Christian, this is okay. Okay, not denigrating you at all. This is how it works. You're like a baby. You need simple truths of the Bible explained and taught, and you need to understand them. Don't worry about the really complex stuff. Start with the simple stuff. But as we grow, we learn more and more about God. And we put more and more of what we learn into action. That's what happens. Actually, when it doesn't happen, the people who wrote the Bible start getting really frustrated with churches where it's not happening. So if we read a little bit from the letter to the Hebrew, this is what the person, I'm fading in and out, says to them. He's trying to teach them about how amazing Jesus is. Chapter 5, verse says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the process. We're born again. We're treated like young children. We need simple truth to understand and to put into practice. And as we do that, we learn more. When Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he tells them why God gives certain ministries to the church. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way, into Christ. Do I need to change the mic? There. Why does that make a difference? Don't blind me with science. Say again. Ah. And I'm an insensitive guy. Okay. We might have solved the technical problem. So what Paul is saying is, we have these ministries... So that the church, you and I, can grow up. So that we can learn and understand truth, put it into practice, and in that way we mature as Christians. With the ultimate aim that we attain to the likeness of Jesus. That's what growing up as a Christian is. It's not just being a Christian for a long time. We all know people who are quite old and quite daft. My dad used to say, there's no point getting old if you don't get crafty. It's just a waste of experience, basically. And we know Christians who've been Christians for a long time and haven't learned and put into practice what God has made known. 
So they're not maturing. The Father wants us to become like Jesus. The way that happens is he teaches us stuff and we do it. And when we do it, he can show us new things. Now, I'm not, I'm not disappearing into some kind of Gnosticism. Don't worry, Graham. This is not, we're not, we're not going into first century heresy here. But this is what happens. As we implement what we learn, God shows us more. And as children grow up, they take on more and more responsibility. That's an important part of growing up, isn't it? That's what we've been training our children for since the day they were born. We've been offloading as much responsibility as possible onto our kids. Well, I have. (laughs) We did little things, practical little things, like they get to a certain age and we say, right, you have to make your own packed lunch for school now. And uh, if you make your packed lunch, you'll have something to eat. And if you don't make your packed lunch, you'll be hungry because we're not doing it for you. And we gave them bus fare. When they started junior school and they had a bus ride to, to, to school, we gave them bus fare, pocket money for the week. This is your pocket money. It's enough for your bus fare and a little bit more. If you spend your bus fare, you walk into school. And after a couple of years, one of the girls suddenly said to me, if I choose to walk to school, can I keep the bus fare? <laughs> yes, you can. And then they get to a certain age and they have to iron their own clothes and all that kind of stuff because that's what you want to do. And actually... That's how God parents. This is a bit shocking, isn't it? But if you think about some of the parables that Jesus tells, this is how he parents. When he tells the parable of the dishonest manager in Luke 16, he makes this simple observation. One who is faithful in very little, verse 10, is also faithful in much. And one who's dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to true riches? And if you've not been faithful with that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? In the parable of the miners in Luke's Gospel, just so we can stay in the same place, when he gives servants money in this story and he comes back and they've made money, the first came before him and said, Lord, your miners has made ten miners more. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the next servant comes and he's made five minors and he's given responsibility. This is God the Father parenting his children, giving responsibility and saying, how are you going to handle that? And actually, if you handle it well, he gives you more. Because he wants you to grow up to be like Jesus. He wants you to grow up to have authority in the heavenly realms. He wants you to grow up to have responsibility in the kingdom so that you can do great things for him. His expectations for you are high. And he will help you fulfill them. Does that make sense? When you see men and women of God in positions of authority and leadership and responsibility. You have to understand this. They didn't just arrive there. They were faithful with what God gave them. And he gave them more. Now, if you are a young Christian, this can be, this is a hope for the future. That actually God is preparing you for great things. He has great hopes for you. There is a great deal that you can do in the kingdom. And he wants to nurture and develop you so that you are able to fulfill all that he has in store for you. What a great father. What a great father. 
Some other things jump out about this parable as well, don't they? One is just how much he loves the children. And uh, I've been trying to think for the last couple of weeks how I explain this, and I can't explain this very well. But how passionately I feel about my adult children has been a real joy to discover because I, I didn't really expect it. And that sounds terrible. And, and it's, it's not as terrible as it sounds. We know how much we love little children. I, if I went on Facebook right now, I wouldn't have to scroll down very far to find pictures of my friends and their young children. And I love seeing that. Don't think, I, if you're uh, one of my friends on Facebook with young children and you post pictures, don't think I'm criticising you. I'm not. I love seeing that. We delight in young children. But it's kind of surprised me to have adult children and understand that I love them just as passionately now as I ever have. And I'm as proud of them now as I've ever been. And I just delight in that. And I didn't expect it. And yet, when we read this story, Jesus is telling us something of the Father's heart. That when he sees his younger son, who is basically preempted his father's death and said, just give me my inheritance now, even though you're still alive. And he's gone off and squandered it. When he sees him, he is filled with compassion. And he runs and embraces him and he kisses him and he throws a party for him because he passionately loves him. And I think this is part of what God has been saying through our meeting this morning. I just think you need to hear this. If you have... uh, If you have... In some way, in the the recent past, rejected God. In some way. If you know that there is something you have done that has been wrong and and, uh, would be sinful, you need to understand this. God passionately loves you. And when you turn to him, there will be compassion. And there will be a hug and a kiss because he loves you. It hasn't diminished Because you've been a Christian for however long you have. It hasn't diminished because you've sinned. He loves you passionately. And you have an opportunity, even this morning, to turn back to him and say, take me home. I want to be home. He will. He will. In fact, the implication of this story, because the shepherd goes out and searches for the sheep and the woman turns her house upside down to search for the coin, I think the implication in this story is the father is on the edge of his land looking for his son to return. He is longing and waiting for you to come back. There's no harsh words. There's no I told you so. There's no condemnation. There is compassion and forgiveness for sin. And equally... He loves the older son. And I think it's so easy to come to this parable and think that Jesus is having a go at the Pharisees. But when you read the way the father responds to the older son, that is not what you see at all. You see an older son who is angry. And he stands outside the house. And he refuses to come in. And the father leaves the house to go to his son. That is an act of incredible humility and grace on behalf of the father. 
He doesn't just sit inside and say, well, if that's how he feels, let him get on with it. He goes out to him. He reasons with him. He talks it through with him. You know the mistake that the eldest son has made? Is he has not enjoyed the fullness of the inheritance that he has already received. So maybe you feel like the oldest son. Maybe there are times or moments in life where you just think, hold on, I've been walking faithfully as a Christian all this time. I don't seem to get the blessings that that person has. I don't seem to get the rewards that that person has. Understand this. The Father loves you. And there is an inheritance in him for you to enjoy that you just haven't learned to walk in yet. But he would love you to learn how to walk in it. You know, the father would say to this son, you could have had a young goat in a party any day you'd wanted. You just never asked. Or you never did it, but it's all yours. Sometimes I come to church in a really grumpy mood. I that does happen. <laughs> and you can feel locked out. You can feel like there's this party going on at the front and you're shut out of it. And God says, no, you're not. Come in. Come in and enjoy it. All that needs to change is what's happening in here. It's my head. It's my heart. Come in and enjoy it. I want you to do that. Okay, so one of, the th- one of the mistakes that we make and where we started at the beginning is we can tend to project onto God our experiences of our earthly fathers. And he's not like that. You know, he's, he's not like our dad, but better. And uh, I really came to understand this um, most helpfully a few years ago, actually through... Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy after I'd had a a meltdown in my mental health and and I was able to access some some counseling and um, my counselor in about the third session said something to me that switched all the lights in the room on and it's based on uh, something that I've got very briefly for you to look at on the board so this is um, this is a matrix about oh Well, it was intended to be. Apparently, the problem is I'm old-fashioned and use Windows. And Jubilee's a bit more up-to-date and uses Macs. Is that right? So my slideshow's not worked. I'm going to have to explain this to you. Okay, so uh, this is based on, I don't know, some kind of sociological child development thinking. Um, Started in the late 60s and 70s, developed in the 80s. This is about parenting styles. And... uh, You can't really, I don't think you can really, oh, you might be able to. It's just the way it's scrolled, isn't it? So we have responsive and unresponsive parents, demanding and undemanding parents. Okay, if we start just by thinking about what those terms mean, I don't want to, I don't want to like overload you with this. This is not scripture, but it is helpful. Um, A responsive but undemanding parent is considered to be permissive. These are parents who have very few demands of their children. They very rarely discipline them. They have low expectations. They're more responding to their children than than setting standards for them. They kind of avoid confrontation. They might describe themselves more as a friend than a parent. So they're responsive to their kids, 
but they don't set very high standards for them. Those, those children of those parents tend to be low in happiness and self-regulation. They tend not to be able to uh, moderate them, their behaviour. We have unresponsive and undemanding parents. Essentially, these are absent parents. Very, very little communication with the kids. Very little uh, requirements of them. They may fulfil their basic needs, um, but they may not. They, essentially, they are neglecting their children. Children of those kinds of parents tend to grow up the least successful in all of life's domains. The, the kind of absent father figure that we might think of. Then we have parents who are unresponsive but very demanding. So they have very strict rules and they expect the children to follow the rules and if the children don't follow the rules, they're punished. My picture of this is kind of Victorian parent. Children should be seen, not heard. You do what you're told. Um, They don't explain why the rules exist. So if a child says, why do I have to do that? The parent will tend to say, because I say so. Okay? So this is the kind of family that I grew up in. Um, I'm not saying my parents were bad parents. They loved me. They were good parents. But they had that kind of out view, if you like. Um, and parents, uh, sorry, children of authoritarian parents have two choices. You either comply and become very compliant or you rebel and become very rebellious. We discovered in our life group, uh, both reactions exist in our life group. I'm not going to tell you who was who. Was who. <laughs> These children tend to have quite low self-esteem. That was part of the cause of my mental health problems. Then we have demanding and responsive parents. Okay, so these parents establish rules and guidelines. They listen to questions. They're quite democratic. They're assertive, but they're not restrictive. When things go wrong, they tend not to punish. They tend to nurture and develop. So you sometimes hear of these parents as nurturing parents. They want their children to be assertive, socially responsible, self-regulating, and cooperative. And the children of these kinds of parents tend to be the happiest, most capable, and most successful children. And suddenly, I realise, ah, this is, this is where I've been going wrong in my thinking, because that is the kind of father that God is. God has very high hopes and standards And he nurtures us and encourages us to get there. When we fall short, we're not punished. The younger son is not punished. And when we don't understand what he's doing, like the older son doesn't, he comes out and he talks to him. And he he works it through with him. And lo and behold, you have the happiest, most successful, emotionally intelligent, Children, because that's what God wants you to be. He's not a father with an iron rod punishing you when you get things wrong. He's not an absent parent, that picture of God who set the universe up like a piece of clockwork and has had nothing to do with it. He doesn't let you do whatever you want, but he will let you sin. God does let the younger son do what the younger son wants to do. He doesn't prevent him from doing it. That's quite a hard thing as a parent, isn't it? If you're a parent, you'll know this. That's quite a hard thing. 
I've had, I've had moments where we've given our children responsibility and the choices they make are not the choices I would make. And I've had to sit there and say to myself, it's their choice. I've given them the responsibility. I'll pick up the pieces at the end of it if I need to, but I'm going to let them do it. God will let you do that. Now, sometimes when you think, I've given them that responsibility, but they're not safe, I will step in. We took our children to uh, Mamtor once where they were paragliding off the hill uh, and one of our one of our children put her arms out, shouted, to infinity and beyond, and started running down the hill to where they were jumping off. I did chase after her and stop her doing that. She's asked me not to, not to tell you which child that was, so I, I, won't, I won't tell you. But um, if you want to know why she's limping, it's because she fell off her friend's trials bike this week. <laughs> God's will for your life I don't want to go on too much longer. God's will for your life is not a tightrope. You know, you think, I'm here and I want to get there. And we can think it's a tightrope. And if you fall off, you're lost. You're not. It's more like a road map. And if the road is blocked, there'll be another way. He will see you through. He will give you responsibility. He will let you fail. He will love you and forgive you and nurture you and teach you what you need to learn so that next time you get it better because he wants you to grow up and to be able to take on massive responsibility and authority in his kingdom for his glory and actually that's not only the kind of father that I want to love and serve that's the kind of child I want to be I want to be a child of God who can carry responsibility for his glory. I want to grow up. I want to become mature. I want to be like Jesus. Okay. So we started at the beginning by saying that I know this is a tough subject. And I know for some of you it is a tough subject. I want to assure you of this. Your father in heaven is not a better version of your earthly father. He is a perfect father. Everything you need to know about him is written in the Bible, not in the diary of your life. He loves you passionately. He has great hopes and expectations for you. And if you choose to walk in them, he will see it through to completion for his glory. That's our Father. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.